I can see it starting. You're beginning to get cellulite on the back of your thighs. You need to start watching what you eat. These are the words spoken to today's woman of impact at just 12 years old. And while it didn't take a hold of her immediately, the fear of food was planted. And over time, like any seed, well, they eventually grow roots. And so five years later, when her closest friends were all leaving for college, she felt like her life was caving in. The fear of being left behind, feeling alone and lost was out of her control. So she sought comfort and refuge in something she could control, her food intake. Yes, the roots had finally taken a hold of her. And so for five years, she battled ruthlessly with anorexia and body dysmorphia until one day she caught her reflection in the mirror and she no longer recognized the skeletal figure staring back at her. And that's when it finally hit her. The fear of feeling like she wasn't even worthy of food was now up against her fear of dying. So both fears stepped into the ring, the ring girls held up the round and the bell rang. Blood, sweat and tears and 12 rounds later, the fear of dying took the belt and in turn saved her life. Recognizing and understanding that fear is the Google map to our lives and that one wrong turn can alter not just our journey, but our final destination too. She went on to write the phenomenal book, Fear is Not an Option. A thought-provoking, poignant book, she lays out practical techniques and gives actionable tools on how we can not just gain inner peace, but also how we can become unapologetically fearless. So please, help me in welcoming the woman whose authentic, fresh voice and fearless approach is slamming fear in the face one door at a time. The woman who, as CCO of the Kabbalah Center, is showing us how we can bring light and strength into our lives by reminding us of our extraordinary potential. The self-proclaimed change junkie herself, Monica Berg. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. Of course, my dear. Welcome to the show. I think your book is phenomenal. And I have to start with a quote from you because it hit me so hard. I think it sets up the whole episode. I'm the voice in your head that says you're not good enough, not strong enough, not smart enough. I'm the one who keeps you small, who stills your tongue, who quiets your passionate voice. I am the one who stops you, who says no, who tells you to expect less because that's what you deserve. I make your hands tremble, your heart race and your palms sweat. I keep you up at night and give power to your doubts. My name is fear. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was so strong because I think everybody listening, or at least I'm sure everybody listening, has had this. I love how you dissect the anatomy of fear. So let's start there. Take me through the three um, main core pieces and then we'll dive deep. So like you said, fear is something that everybody has. If you're breathing and you're living, you've had moments of fear. For some of us, it's more extreme than others. For some of us, it's more consuming, but everybody comes into the world with that. The question is, what do you do with fear? Most people are taught that they should learn to control their fear, that they, are learn, they learn to manage their fear, how to live with their fear. And my message is you want to completely eradicate fear. So to do that, we want to break it down, right? So we will look at fear. And in my book, I identify three different types of fear. There's healthy fear, there's real fear, and there's illogical fear. So healthy fear is like it sounds. It's something that is good for us. It's something we need. And yes, some fear is good. So for instance, if you are on a hike 
and you are standing too close to the ledge, something kicks in, your heart races a little bit, you get, your stomach gets a little bit queasy, you move back away, right? It's set up, this kind of fear is set up for our protection and our survival. Um, even intuition. Let's say you're going into an elevator. I mean, I know I've had this experience, and especially for women, we want to seem polite and we want to seem kind. So if we see somebody in the elevator and we get this feeling that makes us uncomfortable, like, I don't want to be stuck in a small box with this stranger. I don't feel comfortable. We would usually push that feeling aside and go mm -hmm. in. No, that feeling is set up for our protection. And in my book, I talk about this story that really drives this point home. And it's the story of um, Carol Durant. She was in Murray, Utah, and she was at a park and she was approached by this police officer one day and he came to her and he said, you know, your car has been broken into and we've apprehended the suspect and we have some of your items. Can you come to the station with us and identify them to see if they're yours? So she got that feeling in her gut and she asked to see his badge and he showed her one. So she went with him. She was reluctant, but she went along with them. They go in the car, they're driving along go down the freeway and she notices they're driving the opposite direction from the police station. So she starts to question him, she says, you know, you're going the wrong way, we should go back there. So he's driving and with his other hand, he starts to handcuff her arm. And because she was already suspicious, mm -hmm. she had her hand on the door and she was able to jump out of the car. He gets out, they start to struggle and she escapes. So a few days later, she's looking in the newspaper and she sees that another girl, a few hours later, was taken, raped, and murdered. And it came to be known that this police officer was actually serial killer Ted Bundy. So, and she was the one to, like, of the few to ever escape. Boy. So that's healthy. It's clear that that is the kind of intuition we need to tap into and really respect. When I was younger, I absolutely was the person who's like, you can't make a fuss. Like, you can't say you don't want to go into the elevator because it feels weird. Like, people are going to think you're weird, Lisa. So I would just ignore that intuition. Um, and it wasn't until I got older with more confidence to say, you know what, even if I'm wrong, I, I would rather be embarrassed than, than something happen to me. Why do you think that is, um, specifically, I think, in women, have a harder time with um, embracing that, no, this is intuition, I'm going to listen to it? It really comes down to shame. Yeah. And women do carry a lot more of that. And unless you consciously work to remove it, it's something we carry along like luggage with us throughout our lifetime, especially the shame of wanting, right? I want, I need, I feel to respect our thoughts, our mind, our desires. And you know what happens with, with little girls and even into our adulthood, we get this feedback from external things. Um, our friends, our peers, our teachers, our family, our partners, our businesses, that it's somehow wrong mm. to say out loud, especially for women, because if you, you know, we've all heard this, right? Oh, she's so bossy or she's, you know, so snobby. How dare she speak up? But if a man says what he wants, that's the truth. It's like, oh, he's really strong. He's really sure mm. he knows what he wants. Mm. So we get this feedback that somehow it's wrong to really want or desire. And um, so we stop. We stop actually expressing that and when you're so busy with this giving response to external feedback that you're getting you stop listening to the internal you can't actually listen to your intuition and before you know it you don't even know what you think or what you believe or what you desire because you've spent so much time shutting it off and you've been trained to ignore it so yeah. you almost don't hear it yes because what's more important than what you feel desire want or need is what other people say think 
or believe about you. Oh my God, that's so true. As you were, as you'd written that in the book, while I was reading, I literally wanted to just like stand up and just start applauding. <laughs> and because it resonated with me so much, it took me back to when I had decided, I mean, my husband and I decided to not have children. And it was like, I was worried about being shamed that, that a woman doesn't want kids. Mm-hmm. And it was the fear that absolutely stopped me and prevented me from saying it out loud mm-hmm. for the longest time because of exactly what you just said, the, the, um, the judgment and shame that other people may think stopped me from listening to what was actually truly authentically me. How do you, in those moments of shame, recognize that right now what I'm feeling is um, the shame from other people and that it's not what I'm actually feeling myself? Like, how do you switch that around? Well, first you need to change what you believe shame to be. Okay. Um, Shame is, I did something wrong and therefore I am wrong or I am bad, right? So if we, first of all, just look at any decision you make in life, Whatever you decide to do, of course, you will sometimes feel like you could have done it differently mm-hmm. or maybe desire to do it better in the future. But you're, but I don't believe in this is right or that was wrong or you should have done this, but you could have. Done. I hate mm-hmm. those. I don't use those words at all. Should have, could have, wish I had. So if something comes up and you say, well, really, I, I could have done better. And note to self, next time I have that opportunity, I'm really going to take it up. And you just leave it. You see it as a teachable moment, as something that you grew from. So in that, shame cannot exist. There's no space for that. So I think it's first to challenge what you believe shame to be and also look back to how were you raised, the people that were around you, that we all mirror and model, right? It usually starts with our family and the people that raised us. How did they, how did they, how are they with shame? How are they living their lives? And from that stop and just take the emotion out and say, okay, I love that person, but do I really want to live my life the way that they have? Mm-hmm. Unless you have like a stellar role model that you know, like, yes, it's exactly what I want to do. That's exactly what I'm going to be. I'm going to model that behavior. Great. But for the most part, we look around and we take little pieces of people that you know, either they have imposed their beliefs on us or we watched them and we thought somehow we should adopt their style and be like mm-hmm. them. Start from a clean slate. So in anything that you do, really shame cannot exist because it, there's no purpose for it. I'm very purpose-oriented. And, and I think that all of us, by just being human, are. Again, we've shut it down. We put other people before us. We mm-hmm. put them on pedestals. We give our power away. But if you stop and you look and you really dissect your life and say, okay, what is it that I want to be? What's the vision that I have for myself? Where do I start? It starts from this place of a clean slate, working on releasing old belief systems, being very clear about what you desire and being okay to say it and ask for it. God, I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go on to the next pillar. So the next fear is oh, next fear. real. Um, which again, it means that it's based in reality. It's being afraid of things that actually do happen, like death, disease, growing old, um, you know, losing the people that we love. These are things that actually do happen, and of course we are afraid of them. But even with those things, I want to encourage people to transform that fear. So if, for instance, you have a fear of um, growing old or becoming ill, right? So then make sure that in your time spent, you are taking care of your body. Mm. You eat healthy, you make Mm. good choices. And then instead of worrying about something that may or may never happen later down the road, who knows when, you're living in the moment and you're living healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Or even if you have a fear of your parents, um, losing your parents. 
again, instead of worrying about it, oh my God, and looking at them and how will I feel, live in the moment. Make sure you tell them that you love them all the time, that the time that you have together is quality, it's mm. purposeful, it's meaningful, and it's fun. So even with real fear, it can be transformed to something that there's growth and that there's beauty. Yeah, because in hearing you say that, it makes me think about um, like regrets. Is that something you focus on or think about so that you don't regret? Because Let's take parents, for instance, because I've thought a lot about this as I get older. And the reality, like you said, is that we're all, you know, going, going to die. And so at some point we're going to lose our parents. And the fear of losing my parents is like, there's nothing much I can do except try and help them get, be healthy. Um, but beyond that, like the moments, like, what am I going to regret once they pass? And I've, I kind of just saw it like that. Like, what am I going to regret that I haven't said to them? Say it to them today. What am I going to regret doing with them? Do it today. Um, do you think about regret in that way? I do. One of my favorite quotes that I say often is, I'd rather the pain of discipline than the pain of regret. Because oh, yeah. once you regret, you, you actually can't go back and change it, right? So the discipline is the consciousness. It's constantly expanding your consciousness, thinking in this kind of way. And you can only be in that space when you're not giving energy to negative things like fear, doubt, stress, worry, anger, hatred. You have to give the energy to the positive emotions, right? So those things are building and growing and lasting. Mm. And so in those moments, do you say, is this emotion a positive one or a negative one? Like, how do you decipher? Well, for me, it's more immediate because it, it comes down to really knowing yourself, mm. right? And I think that that's a fundamental step most people miss, especially before they enter a relationship. You know, you go, all the things that we crave, that we are lacking, that we desire, we again look for it externally. I'm gonna find the best job or the best house or the best city to live in with the sunniest days or the best partner. And we think that that's going to bring us the thing that we crave, joy, mm. fulfillment, you know, sustenance. That's not, right? But that is what we are led to believe. So instead, it basically starts with stopping everything and realizing what I'm craving from external. I need to give myself. I need to learn to love myself, to respect myself, mm. to know what I believe, right? To know what I think. And, um, and then when you build that, it's easier to navigate through life. There's a simple tool that I give people to help them in that because I know a lot of people, I mean, I've been working on this for 20 years. So for me, it's more immediate. Like I know if I don't do this, I'm not going to feel great about that later. It's like instant, but mm -hmm. I practice that. So a, a simple tool to get there is something called 10, 10, 10. And um, I didn't create it, but um, it's this idea that when something comes up and you're not sure what to do, right? And this is an example, I think her name is Susie Orman. She gave her son, her youngest son was up for his black belt in karate and he'd been working really hard to get it. And she was up for a promotion at her, this big company she'd been working at. At, in the same weekend, he was going to get his black belt, mm. and there was this retreat, and she knew that if she went there, she'd probably get, by the next week, she'd have the promotion, right? So what was she to do? So in 10 minutes, both ideas were horrible. Options were horrible. Why? Because if she said no to her boss, he'd be very disappointed, and um, he probably wouldn't be happy about the decision. In 10 minutes, her son also would be devastated, right? In 10 months... They were kind of equal because if she chose to go to the retreat, she would spoil her son for months to come after and make it up to him and give him extra time and all of this. And if she had gone to the karate tournament, then she would have worked weekends. She would have worked extra hours. I mean, she would have really made up and done a whole song and dance for her boss. But in 10 years, this is where it really was different. In 10 years, and she, she, and she realized this because she decided to go to the tournament. And when her son got his black belt, 
and his little lips quivered and his face was red because he was so happy for his accomplishment. She knew in 10 years that's what really mattered, right? Because she would have gotten the promotion one way or the other eventually. Maybe it wouldn't have been that month or that year, but she would have gotten it. So a good way to kind of help navigate through when will I have regret, when when won't I, how do I make decisions, what's real, what's not, is 10, 10, 10. That's so, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it's really... I'm and gonna, you can apply it to everything. I mean, I even help people who are going through divorces because right. basically you want to have perspective of what your life's going to look like down the line. Mm-hmm. And if you don't really know yourself, you're not going to be able to really you know, say, oh, I know I'm not going to be happy. Okay, but why aren't you going to be happy? What well, you have to break it down. And this is a really good tool to do that. Yeah, I always think like what serves my bigger goal? And I, that's kind of the phrase that I use in my head. Like if something's um, come into conflict, um, Okay, so we know about the real fear now, and what about the last one? So illogical. This is the fear where most people spend most of their mm-hmm. time, and this is the one that's really paralyzing, mm-hmm. that consumes us. It's fear of spiders, elevators, heights, public speaking, rejection, failure. It's all of those things that get in our way from our dreams and really just stop us. It, it does nothing to change or alter any situation. It's just chaos. It's mm-hmm. frenzied en- energy. So, for example, and I've written about this in my book, I had a fear of elevators maybe my entire life since I was four years old. I even joked with my mother. I'm like, did you lock me in a box when I was little? Because this doesn't, I mean, I would be in an elevator and I'd start to have panic attacks from out of nowhere. And it really, went, I carried that along because, again, the only thing that keeps fear alive is you. When I moved to New York City five years ago, I'm like, okay, there's elevators everywhere. I really can't avoid this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not taking this fear along with me. And just like that, and again, I've been doing consciousness work for decades, but I just decided that I'm not taking the fear with me to New York. And I left it and I just dropped it. And we all can do that. I mean, our most powerful asset that we all have is the ability to dictate our consciousness and our perspective and and challenge what we believe. We can rethink anything. So with illogical and this is the one that really gets everybody day to day that's the work and all those tools are in the book that you want to break the fear you want to leave it behind it's something that you don't need so how do you actually leave it behind so you've told yourself i'm going to make the decision i'm not going to take it to new york with me but you've had it for so long that i would guess that certain things like that become a habit or triggers that you don't even are able to immediately control so you go to new york in fact, let me take spiders, for instance. I'm petrified of spiders. and But if I made the decision to not be petrified of spiders, all right, I know that logically. The second a big creepy crawly comes my way, how do I not be afraid of it? Okay, so first of all, you have options, okay? If you see a spider, the first thing is to say, okay, I'm not going to imagine the worst thing that could ever happen to me, which is it's going to run over to me at warp speed and bite me and I'll have an allergic reaction, <laughs> need to go to the hospital, or I'll, I'll panic, I don't want to see it on my leg, whatever right. it is, right? So you don't want to catastrophize, first and foremost. You want to look and say, okay, chances of it even coming even close to me are not high. If it does, I can move away, or I could step on it if I wanted to. Um, and really, this is not a real fear. You want to challenge that because you are more powerful, your thoughts are more powerful than a spider in the room. And then you can even take it a step further. We need spiders for the environment. They have a role. They have a purpose, right? So, and, and with elevators, it did the same thing. This isn't really real. I don't need this energy to surround me. And also, I choose not to react to any feeling I have here because this is not real. I'm instead, my desire to move to New York and to do the, the work we were going to do was greater than the fear. And that was very clear to me. Yeah. So what about in the moment? of fear of failure 
Let's say you don't want to fail because someone's going to tell you I told you so and so you've got all this negativity around you and so you're fearful of doing it. Let's say you do the practice that you just said, the 10, 10, 10. Okay, it's good for my business. I can overcome it and you do it and then you get all this, let's say your fears actually come true where people are saying to you, I told you you weren't good enough. I told you that you did that. How do you deal with that? Well, first of all, I remove those people from my proximity. <laughs> I don't. I don't see how that's serving at all. And right. I think that I'm not even joking about that. Yeah. I think that, and it, and if it happens to be like somebody that you can't remove, like you know your parent or something, I think it's really clear to say I don't want to hear anything negative at all because words have power. And we are impressionable. I don't care how strong you are. That's like, it's a little window of doubt and that's mm. all you need to open that. And that gets wider and wider unless you really close it. Um, so I think that's the first thing is choose your environment and, if, and really create clear boundaries. I don't want to hear that. Um, I'm really clear about how you feel, but this is just a process. The second thing I would say is that, great, I failed. That means I have another opportunity to do it better and do it again. And it's the failing and trying again and again that makes us great. Mm -hmm. And any intelligent person honestly knows that because any successful person has gone through that. Nobody got it right on their first shot. Nobody. We, there's luck. But honestly, I don't really believe in luck. I think that if you, I think the people that are very successful believe in what they're going to do and they have a healthy appreciation that failure is part of the process. Yeah, you're so good with your words. You wrote something like, um, uh, I don't believe in unlucky, it's just fear fearful. Yes. Um, talk to me about that, because I hear that all the time. I'm just so unlucky. Yeah, I think that it's an excuse people use to not try because they're afraid of failure. So, oh, that person's lucky and I'm not. That's why they have it. It's like, okay, mm. great. So you have all these excuses set up so that when you do fail, it's not your fault. Mm. So it's, it's kind of like an armor that we put on. Mm. Um, I remember somebody... Uh, said to me, she knows, I have two sisters and she knows all of us. And she said, oh, well, you know, in, in your family, you're the unlucky one. I looked at her, I'm like, I, I feel pretty awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. She says, well, you know, you had a son born with Down syndrome. I said, lucky, unlucky is a state of mind. First of all, oh. I feel it's a gift. And second of all, um, I just don't believe you can assign that in any which way. So I think that... Um, hmm. That's such a great way of seeing it. Well, because in life, you you either, you wear things that happen to you, right? And, and it's all on how, like, we could have the same experience in a day, right? We could walk into a coffee place and they got our order wrong and you, let's say you got really upset because you're very specific, you went this way and I tasted it, I was like, wow, this is the best. I've never had that, that's really great, right? So it's more about like, am I stuck on, you know, oh, everything, they never get it right and I'm never lucky mm. and everything follows me around. Or you could approach like, I'm really curious about life, everything's great and everything's an opportunity to discover something else. It's all just a state of mind. Wow. Yeah, um, you just saying that, um having a son with Down syndrome actually was, a, what word did you use? A gift. A gift. Oh God. Talk to me about that because that's such a powerful mindset that it is easy for a lot of us to look at the things that have happened in our lives and say we're a victim or, you know, why us or why me? Um, and the fact that you're able to look at that and say it is a gift. Can you take me through that from the doctor telling you? And then I'm sure um, you, it hit you like the the fear must have like come rushing in. Um, how do you work through that? So um, he was my second child and I didn't find out till four hours after he was born that he had Down syndrome. We didn't know, you know, anything when I was pregnant. Although I did have an intuition that something mm. was very different about this. And 
it's funny because at the time I had a girlfriend, my best friend, and I kept saying to her, something's wrong. And nobody wants to hear a pregnant woman saying something is wrong, mm. something feels wrong. So she would say, no, no, no. I'm like, no, some, I'm telling you something feels wrong. Anyway, when he was born, this doctor, and he's not even, he wasn't even my pediatrician. He was just the doctor on call. He knocks on the door and I have something to tell you. And I said, oh, okay, my husband will be back in like 30 minutes. No, no, it has to be right now to tell you something. And I already started shaking. And he said, you know, we're 99% sure your son has Down syndrome. I don't even think he walked all the way in the room, actually. He even stood just by the door. And um, I just started shaking uncontrollably. I had just had a C-section. And, of course, I had the natural reactions to any kind of grief, right? There's the seven stages and, you know, denial and anger and all of it. And... I allowed myself to go through that process. And I remember I did feel shame, actually, when I first had him. Really? Because I thought, oh, I did something to deserve this, right? You never anticipate that you're going to have an unhealthy child. We always assume that everything should go as it should, and not just with pregnancy, with everything in life. And it's this expectation, by the way, that nothing bad will ever happen that really gets us messed up when things happen that we don't expect. We're not prepared, and we don't have the tools to deal with it. Mm. So... I remember thinking that, and then I had the thought, well, it also happened to my husband, and I don't hold those same beliefs for him. Ah. So that was the first way I was able to see the flaw in my thinking. And then I wanted to see the opportunity, because I knew in that moment that I could either go through life, you know, worrying about everything, about, you know, who he, who, you know, could I raise a child with Down syndrome with a disability? You know, who would he become? Who would I become because of having him? All of these doubts and fears, and that could be a negative or the positive. I happened to find out about Josh's limitations on the day he was born, but I had a lifetime to find out about all the beauty that he could offer and that he was. So I chose that. And by choosing that also, I allowed him to wash over me in such a beautiful way where he really changed me at my very core to become more empathetic, to find real purpose. I mean, I had been studying spirituality since I was 17, um, and I, but I had bought into the belief system that when you're spiritual and when you're on a path, nothing bad can ever happen to you. That was a belief system I needed at 17 because I was anorexic at the time, right? So mm. we create these things based on where we're at in life. Mm. When I had Josh, I realized that that was a flawed belief. And the truth is that things will happen in life that you don't want, that you didn't anticipate, but there's a gift in every single thing. It may come in a package that you don't like. It may be wrapped in brown paper and you want flowers and pink bows, but the, at the core, there's a gift and there's an opportunity and there's an opportunity for growth. And that is the reason for challenges. That's why things happen in the first place. And I think that, again, most people, you know, you can see that they have suffered through life, right? Somebody has lost a child or, you know, lost a limb or whatever the, the loss was or lost all of their money and, you know, now are, are you know, living very differently than how they were when they had millions. And they wear the lines on their face, but that's one way to go through life. Mm -hmm. The other is to say, okay, this happened. I didn't want it to happen, but I know that everybody is meant for greatness. And again, this comes with challenging consciousness. I know that I'm deserving of all good things and it's my responsibility to find it, mm. right? I don't like when people go through life and like this happened to me. You know, no, life doesn't happen. It can happen to you if you have a victim consciousness, but it happens through you if you have an elevated consciousness. Love that. So how, you actually says um, you can challenge your belief. How do you actually challenge then fear-based beliefs that, um, that come your way? 
Well, I think a, a good first step for people who are just starting this is to journal things. Mm. Um, there's so much science in how powerful journaling is when you write things down. Actually, you're able to see what you're thinking because again, our thoughts are very fleeting. Mm. Sometimes we can catch them, sometimes we don't. So a lot of them are negative. True desires are kind of hidden underneath. It depends where you are kind of in, your, in yourself as a whole, right? But if you write it out, and then you read it the next day, you're going to say, like, well, that, that's what I was thinking. Well, no wonder my day turned out like it was. I had a, a completely negative idea of what this would be or how my day would unfold. or what, Basically, taking, it helps you take responsibility for where you find yourself. So I think that's the first step. And, and I, would really, I would really ask people to do that for 30 days every day and see how differently their next month will be. Yeah, I, I don't journal, but I write really, really long Instagram posts. And typically my Instagram posts, I have realized it was not my intention, but over time, because everyone's like, you're so vulnerable, thank you so much. And the truth is, it's, it's actually therapy for me now. It's a way for me to assess what I'm going through, to put words to it, and to say this isn't very empowering. So if it's not empowering to everyone else, it's definitely not empowering to myself. So then it, it forces me to look at that other perspective, like you were saying of like, well, okay, this has happened, but how can this be amazing? Like it is up to me how I perceive it, right? Mm -hmm. And the belief system that I have. Absolutely. I think that people underestimate just how strong their thoughts are, how strong the power of intention is, because our intention is our chosen consciousness, right? So what you believe is what is what is created so if you um believe that uh you know your day isn't going to go great then you've created the experience you're going to have in that day mm -hmm. right if you don't believe in yourself then your relationships are going to suffer from that right mm -hmm. if you don't think that you're deserving then the outcome of what's it's all cause and effect so about it's really about taking responsibility in that way yeah i actually have a quote from you about this which i absolutely love um, everything that we do, say, and think is what we become. Mm -hmm. That's it. So powerful. And by the way, I think that people complicate things. Like, it's just about making a decision and then followed up by immediate action. So I'm deciding I'm not going to think in a limited way. So mm -hmm. any negative thought that comes up, I'm going to push it aside and not give it energy and then do something very positive right after. You can retrain mm -hmm. your brain. It just, it requires a choice. Again, followed by immediate action. Mm. Yeah, I started doing that probably about six months ago. And I said, anytime that I feel the fear, which probably in hindsight may not be a great idea, but I was like, anytime I feel fear, just lean into it immediately. Don't think, don't like, just do it straight away. And so I got asked to do public speaking gig, um, never spoken publicly ever in my life. And the first thing I said was yes. And I was like, oh God, what did I just do? I'm so scared. So I spent four months panicking. And I was able to talk myself through the whole thing and say, I know this is fear talking. I know it's irrational. I know it's illogical. You've never been on stage before, so you don't know how you're going to be. And even if you're terrible, Lisa, what difference does it make? At least you've learned. At least you've done it. And you've, you would have now have, like, experienced it. And then is it something I want to do? Then I can get better at it. Um, I'd like for you to challenge next time you feel oh, yeah. fearful like that. Instead of spending the four months talking yourself and convincing yourself and, and changing your belief, yes, mm -hmm. that's part of it. I want you to put all of that energy in the opposite, which is I have something to say. I'm going to affect oh. lives. I believe in what I'm doing. And just for that alone, even if I help one person, that's enough for me because that's my destiny, right? So then you're putting all of that energy mm. into what you want to create versus what you don't want to create. Mm. I don't want to fail. I'm going to do it even if I just do it this one time. I don't know how, right? That's one level and that's great and that got you through it. But this is like a whole different ballgame. And that was 
another thing that I loved so much about your book, I am always trying to be very open to being changed. Because I think that no matter where we are in life, whether I'm, you know, 39 or I'm 60 or 90, I want the ability to improve. And so whenever I have a strong thought, I always, I'm like with, you know, uttermost energy and conviction, I believe in it until something comes and challenges me. And so typically I say that I cannot um, quieten the fear. Like I cannot shut it out. I can't stop the fear no matter how much I've tried. It always comes in. So I've just learned to use the volume control and be like, should I listen to this fear? Like, is this helping me, you know, escape the serial killer or is this irrational? And so I just have the controls. But your book, Fear is Not an Option, that hit me hard because I've never told myself fear isn't an option. I've always told myself, you know what, Lisa, you can control the fear, Mm. which is actually very different. It's limiting. It's limiting. So talk to me about that exact phrase. Well, the thing is, if fear is not an option, you're going to need to find another option, right? And that option is going to be powerful. And that option is going to be opportunistic because, you know, fears left unchallenged just grow. As soon as I even recognize that I'm starting to be afraid of something, I go all the way in. Just like you, and, and, and it really works because then you can't grow and develop a new fear because that's what happens through life. Mm-hmm. If you look at elderly people and they walk around, they're so fear-based even when they cross the street or what, because that's what happens. If you don't constantly challenge yourself, you just gather more and collect them over time. And that's why children are fearless, right? right. They don't know how to walk. Oh. They learn to walk. They know how to ride a bike. Well, they get to ride a bike. You know, they didn't know how to do anything until they knew how to do it. Now in life, we're like, well, I don't know how to do that. So yeah. I'm not going to try that, right? Yeah. It's like your story about the roller coasters. Exactly. I love that. Right. So after Josh was born, and I, I have this time, you know, before Josh and after Josh. That's how I talk about the time frame mm-hmm. when I had him and after. Because that is a reflection of how you had changed? So much. Okay. And in good and, and ways that I still needed to perfect. So for instance, in this case, you know, before that, I was like an adrenaline junkie. Like I used to be the person that would pull out my cousin's teeth. And if there was a kind of crisis, I'd be the cool, calm, collected person you okay. call. But then after I had him, if I saw blood, I would start to faint. Like, Whoa, yeah, it was okay. that it was that different because I was mm. there was some trauma still there. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it would be a great idea to go to this amusement park, you know, to have a fun day. What I hadn't realized until that time is that what used to excite me now terrified me. Mm. So, and I convinced my husband, who doesn't really love heights, like, well, on roller coasters, it's going to be so fun. So we get on the first one, and we're inching up. And on the left side, as you know, they go really slowly before the first drop. On the left side of me, there's this mechanical bear waving happily, right? And he's supposed to be adorable and cute and a sign of fun. I thought it was the last happy thing I would ever see. <laughs> and it was a sign of impending doom, okay? So I look over and I had this thought that I can just, I can jump on the platform. I can jump off the roller coaster and st- there's space for me and stand there and they'll come get me. And then I caught the thought and I was so terrified by the crazy thought that it was less scary than the roller coaster. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm going to end up on the evening news. It's the crazy woman. I'll be embarrassed for the rest of my life. I'll never live this down. My poor family. So I rode down the roller coaster and it was fine. I survived clearly. <laughs> but what I did that day is I forced myself to go on every single roller coaster in the park. And it's not that I enjoyed it. But I knew that if not, I would have walked away that day with a new fear of roller coasters or fast things, right? That's how you do it. You just don't allow them to grow. Yeah. And so are you afraid of roller coasters now? No, I actually went to Disneyland yesterday. Amazing. Yeah. No, it's fun. Um, And that's like, the reason why I wanted you to tell that story is 
it's so specific of like, okay, and then I went on every single roller coaster in the place just to make sure of it. But we do that so much in our daily lives where we're fearful of something. So we're like, oh, no, we just won't do it. And we don't realize that 10 years down the line, we're petrified and we don't actually understand why. But it's because of those small little moments every day or every week or every month. Well, let's even take big ones. Somebody who was cheated on, right? I had somebody okay. speak to me the other day about this. She's afraid of rejection. She's not going to relationship because her partner cheated on her. That's a valid fear. I get it. And it feels real. It's not real because, you know, if we break down rejection, what is rejection? It's not that, you know, you're not good. It's that what you're offering is not for that recipient, mm. right? So it's a gift, actually. Again, where's the opportunity there? There's somebody out there in the world that wants to receive all she has to offer. This was the wrong person to give it to. It's not that it's about you and there's something inherently wrong with you. It's that this was for you to wake up so you can now have desire for something that is for you. Mm. So, but what happens is now she's created a new fear for herself and she's walking around with that of like, I'm afraid, she has a whole armor on, and she's not allowing herself to connect and have opportunities. But if you break down and you look at all the things that you fear, if you just look at them and you see, okay, where's the truth in here? Mm -hmm. Not the lie I'm telling myself, but where's the real truth? Mm -hmm. You'll get it, but you have to be patient to hear the answer. Mm. Yeah, um, I love that actually, and I've got another quote of yours. And this is actually one thing that you wanted, you told your daughter, you wrote in the book at the end, like things that you want your daughter to know. Mm -hmm. So nearly every time someone hurts you, lashes out or says something that makes you feel insecure or unworthy, it's a manifestation of their own pain. It has very little to do with you other than you happen to be in their proximity. Everyone is fighting their own battles and conflicts will arise. People will be hurtful or nasty and yes, it will hurt. Just remember, it's really not about you. It's about them. While you can learn something from the experience, you do not need to accept their judgment as facts. That is like the complete opposite of what I like, oh, it's not them, it's you, right? So it's like if I have four failed, let's say relationships, I, lo I looked at like, oh, what's the common denominator? It's me, it must be me, I need to change. Um, which I actually find empowering. But I also find empowerment in what you just said. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about those um, dualities, those both thoughts? Do you think that they can coexist or do you think, no, it needs to be all about them, not you? No, I think that there is always an opportunity. There's something for you to hear if, mm. you're, if you are getting that kind of pushback, right? But I don't think you have to have whatever they're believing about you. You don't have to own that as truth. Mm. Let's say, okay, why is this in my movie? Why is that person doing X, Y, and Z to me? Not that I think what they're saying is true, but the fact that I'm even experiencing this, there's something for me to see. So maybe it would be, I don't believe enough in myself. What do I believe? It's a challenge that, right? I mean, even if you look at the four failed relationships, I would look at that because it's interesting. You can say failed relationships, but there's also many people that are in relationships and they're not happy, right? Mm. So that's not a successful relationship. Mm. It's just not an obvious failed one. Mm. The fact that maybe you would be able to walk away from four relationships because you want more for yourself. Again, there's, an, there's a, something mm. to look at. And why are you choosing the kinds of people that are not authentic to who you are if they're four failed ones, right? So I just think that everything should be looked through the lens of growth, empowerment, transformation, and change instead of rejection, I'm not good enough, I'm undeserving, and I'm not lovable. Mm. So back to the quote, I just think far too often, I mean, it took me over 40 years to live that and to understand that because... Nobody talks about that when you're younger and you're growing up. Well, if you're not popular, it's because, you know, there's something wrong with you. Or if this person has an issue with you, you know, or, again, it's you. And I walked around for a very long time thinking there's something wrong with me, mm -hmm. that I am making people feel not great 
or whatever it is that I'm getting this reaction. But I later realized, like, actually, no, it's not really about me. It's something that they're feeling. Maybe it's something that they see in me that's making them uncomfortable about themselves, but I'm not going to own that as something I need to change about me. So that quote is specifically like, don't, don't question who you are, or what you believe, or what you desire to make other people more comfortable in their skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is that the moments where you would use um, letter? Because I know you believe in like positive mantras and things like that. Because I'm thinking in those moments, you feel hurt, you're offended, you're upset. Um, and I, so I actually do use mantras and mm-hmm. phrases now to tell myself, okay, Lisa, when you feel like that, tell yourself this. Is that a strategy you use? Do you have other strategies that people yes, can do? Yes, I, I love mantras too. I feel like that's a lot of work also because it's like a mental thing to tell yourself. And, and again, I think it's great. Let's elevate it a little bit more. So instead, I want you to, when the emotion comes, observe the emotion, don't become the emotion. Because what okay. happens is I mm-hmm. feel angry, I'm angry. And, and then you're an angry person or I'm sad. I'm a sad person now. No, don't just their emotions are indicators. Mm -hmm. They're there to make you stop and say, okay, I'm feeling something here. What is it that could be making me feel this way? What happened five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago or an hour ago? All right. So that happened. And I don't like that that happened. Why don't I like it? Because when that person said X, Y, and Z, I believed it. Okay. There's an opportunity there to, again, look within and say, well, first of all, I don't want to be that influenced by people's opinions. Mm -hmm. One opportunity. Second, do I believe that to be true? Yes or no. If you do, great, then work on changing it. If you don't, you don't have to own it. And third, if that's the person, you know, sending you that kind of vibe, do you really want to have that closeness with them? Yes or no. So I I think everything is empowering and everything gives, every opportunity gives you an option to choose something that's Mm -hmm. better for you. So yeah, when people do things like that to me now, Um, I get disappointed just on a human level because I do love closeness. I love connection. I love sisterhood. I love empowering people. And I want to be met with that, but I don't have that expectation anymore. You know, maybe Mm. I'm just supposed to offer that and, and be met with just kindness. I think that's my, my only still expectation I hold on to. And I don't think I ever want to let go of that one. So I was going to say, so what happens when someone isn't kind to you? Um, I do. I advocate for myself. Yeah. I, I don't accept that. Good for you. Have you always been like that? No. All right, so how do you get the courage to advocate for yourself? Well, for me, it took almost dying from anorexia to finally do it. And when I don't advocate or when I didn't, I always felt disappointed in myself. And that's not a feeling that I'm willing to have. Mm. I want to feel proud of, of who I am. And I know a lot of people have a problem speaking up and they go, I don't want to be argumentative. And I said, well, saying how you feel doesn't have to, I said, maybe that's how it was expressed in your home, Mm. but you can say how you feel and you can say it in a kind way. Just be clear about what is acceptable for you or not. So if somebody does something that I feel is wrong to me or not genuine or doesn't feel authentic, I have a responsibility to say it to them because I want to, I want to value and protect the relationship I have with myself instead of putting that relationship first with the other person. It's just not, I'm not willing to live in that way anymore. Yeah. I used to be, when I was younger, that person that like after, I would never say anything in the moment. I'd feel offended and someone was rude to me. And then afterwards I'd lie in bed and I'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't say this. Why didn't I stick up for myself? And then I start beating myself. Yeah, Yeah. I start beating myself up that I didn't actually say anything. Because Um, you knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah. There's a tool, a Kabbalistic tool actually that, when something really bothers you, when you feel angry or hurt, wait three days before you say anything. Hmm. Because by the third day, the emotion has gone away. If you mm-hmm. think about anything, usually after three days, it doesn't really bother you anymore. The part that would still bother you is the part worth talking about, right? Yeah. Because maybe 
they said five things and there's only one that after three days really bothered you. So then go have that worthwhile conversation. Interesting. So three days for you, is that the key number? Yes. When I'm not sure if it's the right thing to say, well, the person hear me doesn't really bother me that much, mm. but I think it's a conversation to be had. When I'm in that kind of state, mm. yeah, I'll wait three days and it's super clear after. Yeah, I've, um, I started to do that with text messages and emails. So I was like, you know what, like if someone sends you like an email that you can tell like this is a bit rude, um, like I want to like write back and be like, that isn't very polite and you know. Um, oh, right, and then you delete it. Right, yeah. and so that's what I started to do or even with text messages, if somebody would, you know, send a text where you can tell they're being rude. You know, I've started to just become like, look, this comes across really rude. Maybe you didn't mean it like that, but it really does. Um, even now I was like, I'll write it and I'll either delete it or keep it. And then if I still feel the same the next day, I'll send it or right. something. But I've noticed that otherwise it is pure emotion. And then the next and you day- you always I'm regret like, that, Always by the way. regret. <laughs> yeah. And anything that comes from emotion, also people don't necessarily take it as like truth, I guess. Because like, oh, it's just being emotional. Right. Versus like, huh, three days later they came, they were very articulate about it as well. I think that's the thing. It's figuring out your position, how you feel about it, articulate it in a calm manner. Well, you can only do that when you're not emotional. Right, exactly. And that's why right, the three right, days, right. exactly. Then you're just completely speaking from your soul and from your heart and it comes out the way that it should. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing I definitely want to make sure that we talk about um, is naming our fears. Why do you think that that's important? Because when you said that, I was like, that's so true. Why do you think it's important and how do we name them? Well, if you, it, it goes back to how we rated them, right? The three different parts. Mm -hmm. When it's just a fear that's out there, that's unknown, that's a feeling, it's kind of something that just is surrounding you all the time. It's an energy, right? Um, by naming your fear, you're actually making it specific you're again like the journaling you're looking at it you're writing it down and then you're able to say okay what kind of fear is it is it something that i need to pay attention to any of it or do i want to just release it if you don't name it it exists somewhere out there in the universe and it doesn't really become something so you always want to do that um and again, it's just like, if not, you're just like in murky water mm -hmm. without any clarity. Yeah. It like, kind of forces you to recognize it and like, like you said, give it a name. Because we're so used to living with fear. We yeah, are used to yeah. living with that emotion, mm -hmm. right? So by putting it down and by naming it, that, well, that's right out the door. I love that. Yeah. Well, my dear, you seem like a superhero to me, the way you fight fear on a daily basis. Um, but what would your superpower be? Um that I'm really powerful mm. and and I don't mean that to sound in any other way other than that I can do great things and without limitation and we all can we can do more than we ever give ourselves credit for and so my superpower is that I am powerful beyond belief and I can continue to grow that power each and every day and that's what I plan on doing I love that idea. where can people find you and this incredible book so my book is sold on Amazon. You can find me on Twitter, MonicaBerg74. And my website is RethinkLife.today. Amazing. Guys, guys, you got to go check this book out. It is so much fun to read. I was definitely the person that had the remote control to my fear, turning down the volume. But now fear is not an option. I'm going to use this every single day. So please, please, I really hope you guys do too. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button down there. And until next time, guys, go be the hero of your own life. Peace out.